This is London Calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders. And welcome again to another global podcast of thought and leaders. As you know, I scour this beautiful, elegant, magnificent planet of ours to find the most thoughtful, the most insightful, the most inspirational leaders out there. And this week is absolutely no exception to that one rule. Because this week we have the chief executive at CIPR, the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, Alistair McCrapper. Hello. Hello. How are you, Jonathan? Hey, it's great to hear from you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much, bolstered by your very generous introduction. Schmoozing gets you everywhere in PI. (laughs) People don't usually say these things about me, you know. That's schmoozing. Now, tell me, Alistair, how's it been for you, this wonderful 2020, he said with his tongue in his cheek? It's been a bit of a positive surprise. Back in March and April, things looked pretty grim all round for everybody. But I would say that over the last nine months, all kinds of sometimes very surprising things have happened, which have left us, you know, as we come to the end of the year, in a, in a much, much stronger place than we thought we would be. Really? We were underestimating certain assets that we had, and we were very focused on the things that were going to go wrong, Yeah, not focused enough on very well-equipped lifeboats that we had that would be mm. uh, very useful to us. Before we get to those lifeboats, you've been steering this ship, the CIPR, for around seven years. Almost exactly to the day. Before we get to the 2020 year, what's been your highlights in those seven years? Most of it, honestly, has been a slog. Oh, really? Well, that's life, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> yes, it is. That's life in a small organisation with a big imagination and not much money. Oh, well. Most of the things that we needed to do something about aren't things that it's easy to fix or produce miraculous quick results. Right. I would love to say that in 2013, 2014, I anticipated 2020 Mm. and did everything I could do to prepare the organisation for it. That's, That's not true. But there are things which we did do that we understood would enable us to respond to some sort of a crisis much more effectively. Mm. And a lot of that was just to do with steady streamlining of things, removal of clutter, trying to get more focus, and trying to be more market-oriented. I'm assuming that some of the training that you guys offer people around the world is to do with crisis management. Mm. There is a very large appetite for training in the PR world, largely because PR practitioners have to be so flexible and adaptable themselves. The technology is constantly changing, you know, definitely one sector where you can't sit on your hands and you've got to keep ahead of things if you're going to be successful. Alistair, are you guys doing like uh, online stuff? We've gone completely online. How's that gone down? For many years, people have said, oh, why is all your trading in London and why is it so expensive and why can't we have it online? The truth is the market really wouldn't support a decent online offering. And even this year, we stopped all our training for several months and we asked the delegates when the time came, did they want to have a face-to-face session or did they want to go online? And what did they want? Face to face. Right. Even with our COVID days and nights, they're talking about going back to face to face. Well, that's what they said. Ah. Saying that you would much prefer to have face to face training isn't the same thing as a commitment to show up for the face to face training 
that's a very different thing. So we try to cover all bases by saying, well, you can have a choice. You can either come in face-to-face or you can do virtual. And what happened was that people stuck to their idea of having face-to-face up till about the day before, and then we all flipped and did virtual. We're just going to stop with the face-to-face for the time being and stick to completely virtual. Yeah. Now, I know that CIPR have been involved for some time with the magnificent awards that you give out. Mm -hmm. How's that been affected this year? Um, That's been affected quite hard, actually. Mm. The Pride Awards, which we run outside of London across the UK, we decided to cancel altogether this year. Oh, dear. There's no prospect of having the kind of big dinners, which are the core experience of the award for most people who enter. Mm -hmm. I've attended some. They're great fun. You know, everyone really looks forward to them, but those were definitely not on the table this year. We'll bring them back next year. And I'll be booking my space to watch. This brings me to where we are at the moment, which is 2020. You've become a bit of a virtual organization, putting digital first, haven't you? That's exactly right. Yes, we have. Yeah. What have been the unexpected positives from all this? We've always been wedded to kind of face-to-face as a delivery model for all sorts of things, you know, the awards, our training, everything. That's what everybody likes, but it's expensive to deliver. So just deciding that we are going to deliver everything digitally and we're not going to have any face-to-face training, we're not going to have any face-to-face awards, right. we're not going to do anything else face-to-face. Here's the deck, amazingly, it removes so much uncertainty and it allows us to really focus on delivering a high-quality digital experience for our members and our customers without any other distraction. What are the USPs of your digital experience? We were, going into this crisis, the largest provider of PR training in the UK. Wow. We still have the same trainers, still having offering the same material, but much more accessible to people than it ever has been. People don't need to take a day off work and come down to London. They can split it up into shorter sessions if they want to. It's all become much more flexible and much easier for people to to access. And are you using platforms like Zoom to do this, or do you have some other platform that you're using? We're using, at the moment, for the training, it's mostly on GoToWebinar. Oh, really? Do you find that there's a, there's a big difference then between these, diff- these different platforms? Th- there are, and we're still in the early days. I mean, we're not necessarily committed to using GoToWebinar forever. No, of course not, yeah. Part, part, partly that will be, it will be defined by things like uh, how much interaction people actually want to have during the sessions. Mm. So it may be that we will look at other platforms and find that they create a better experience, in which case we'll, we'll move over. In March and April, we kind of estimated that it would be much harder to recruit new members and it would be much harder to hang on to the ones that we already had. But that's not how things turned out. So in fact, we have held on to our members exactly the same as we would in any other year. And we've recruited more than a thousand new ones. And what do you put that down to? Um, I've put it down to what I call the AA factor. Sometimes people say that membership of a professional body is like being in a gym. So you kind of you get out of it what you put into it. And a lot of people sign up to the gym and, and don't really take advantage of everything. Right. But there's also we, we are also a bit like the AA. So when things are going well and you're you know you've got a nice shiny new car, you're not thinking about the AA. When things start to get a bit hairy then they begin to think, well, what would I do? Do I need to retrain? Should I be a member? Do I need to improve my network? At those points, professional membership becomes more attractive. Especially with so many people losing jobs that I suppose holding on to that job, you know, it's been it's, it's a new significance of the whole thing, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of stuff that people think about in the back of their minds. And in other years, they would put off and say, well, I'll do that later. 2020 was the year when there is no later, you have to do it now. But the other thing that was really interesting, not just the numbers, but the, but the real kind of 
spirit of our volunteer community really shone through. So um, at a time when people were, you know, sick family members and their jobs were all over the place and they were trying to furlough and all the rest of it, our, our members pulled out all the stops, probably had more member events this year than any other year. We set up a, two new mentoring schemes. I mean, our volunteers just let rip. And there's a massive kind of surge of energy wow. um, and desire for people to support each other and pull together to get through. It really made a difference to what it felt like to be a member, has been the single most important thing in carrying us through the last year. So it sounds like that CIPR, Chartered Institute of Public Relations, that C maybe needs to be changed to community of public relations. It felt like a community organisation. That really was the spirit. It was very neighbourly in every sort of good way. Everybody is going through some kind of reinvention, I, I guess, during these difficult, difficult times. Do you think that some of the old stereotypes still remain, even though all the goodwill is there? If I'd asked my members a few months ago about how they felt about their standing in their organisations, I think most of them felt that they'd had a challenging but positive year. I mean, they've been called upon to do things they hadn't been called upon before, found themselves having sort of access to senior management in ways they might not have before. And overall, the effect of the crisis was to help them up their game, really. So I think over the summer and the early autumn, there was a general feeling that uh, we'd risen to a challenge. Rather disappointingly, in the last few weeks, there's a kind of slew of stories in the mainstream media about PR and about lobbying, which take us kind of right back to seven, eight years ago with the kind of cash for access scandals and those sorts of things that people were concerned about. They're really to do with how the government has procured PR and comms advice during the crisis. From a PR point of view, the way that the government has used PR, do you think that they've done a good job? There's a public health crisis. The government needed to get people to stay home protect the NHS and save lives. They got that message out. Every indicator, I mean, every piece of feedback which which they had and has been shared shows that people got that message and they understood it. And by and large, they, they followed it. If we go back to March, initially, the message was very confusing. It seems to have gone from being a bit confusing to a bit almost nursery-like in, in terms of, you know, face, space, hands. Uh, uh, Mm. Is it when you have a very big crisis like this that you have to really make things almost baby-like? <laughs> They're simultaneously trying to get out a very simple message about hand-to-face space. Yeah. With encyclopedic detail of who can do what in tank size and who can't do what in Bolton. I think it has all got just too complicated. Uh, the government, I think, has recognised that. Exactly. They are wrestling between trying to keep it simple and trying to provide the detail which they think is relevant to particular situations. When you see them explaining things in various briefings using slides, do you think that the communication is clear with those slides from a PR point of view? The the trouble is that they're not really a PR exercise, those briefings. Where does one start and another one finish, Alistair? I'll give you the example of the contentious slide that the government was actually pulled up on for using. They looked at various models for the number of deaths if they didn't enter this second national lockdown. One model they'd looked at was clearly an outlier, which suggested that if nothing was done, there could be as many as 4,000 deaths a week. Right. The slide was only up for, I don't know, 90 seconds. 
it was very clear to me what that slide meant, which is we've looked at a number of models. You can see this as an outlier. When Boris spoke, he made the point it doesn't matter which model you follow. Whichever model you look at, this is going to get a lot worse if we don't do something. Then they were criticised later for misleading the public. I don't think that's what they were doing. The transparency agenda says that if the government has considered a model and it is doing a presentation about what models it has considered, then it has to show that model. It can't pretend that it didn't see that model because it might frighten people. I think taken as a whole, it was clear what they were doing and they were absolutely not trying to threaten people with 4,000. There's another thing about the briefings and those slides, and that is that a lot of people have said to me on these shows that no one could actually see the slide because they were so poorly designed. Now, it makes me wonder, mm. is, would that come under a PR remit about the design of the slide? Or would you say, oh, no, that's not my department. We do PR. We don't do slide design. Mm. I mean, is it, is it surely not all part and parcel of communications? The man in the street is just going to look at it yeah. as a piece of communications. And I think the government has a responsibility to show us what it is considering in as near as possible the form that it's considered it. Mm. So those are the slides that ministers are looking at. I mean, that's what, when we look at these things, we know that that's what that is literally the advice they've had. It's not some synthesized version of it. The, the slides are all available to the public. You can download them, you can look at them, whatever. There's plenty of commentary about them. The thing about public health data is it's very messy. Any simplification you try to impose on it would probably end up being more misleading. Part of the work of those slides is to say, actually, this is a really difficult job here's what we're working with thinking about the role of data whether it be data that's shown on a slide or whatever it might be when i was first involved with pr alistair i used to work in fleet street when they used to actually have newspapers there. yes it wasn't about data that drove the stories it was about relationships that drove the stories uh, you know, I would, you know, have a pint with whichever journalist it was, a completely different world than where we are at the moment. But today, data and deliberation, it's taken over decision making, hasn't it? I think data has become a substitute for decision making, because decision making is sort of to follow on from what we were just talking about. There's certainly oceans of data about, but in the end, someone's still got to decide, are we going into lockdown or are we not? Can we see our families at Christmas or can we not? Mm. People keep talking about data-driven decisions. Data is unquestionably important, but I think we've really overestimated it in recent years, and we've really downplayed the importance of judgment. The new generation that's coming in now, they're grown up in an era yeah. where it's all about data, and data informs everything. I mean, if they mm. don't have their dashboards, they make a run for it. Data can lead you very powerfully towards one conclusion, but that's not necessarily thing you need to consider. We are getting paralysed by data now because exactly as you've described, if, you, if there aren't dashboards and loads and loads of stuff supporting a particular course of action, yeah. people think they can't do anything. And that's just not true. With the new generation, and it's really understandable, they're petrified they're going to lose their jobs. And so they've got to justify absolutely everything by saying, well, look, the dashboard points to this and it points to that and the data suggests this and the data suggests that. As an elder of the community, is there something that you can do to advise their bosses that there might be a slightly different approach? Well, one of the things that I would like to do as a sort of personal project as part of our reinvention is to think about how we can re-emphasize professional judgment and the development of judgment and the idea that being a professional in any field 
uh, certainly involves data and understanding data, but also understanding the limits of data and understanding decision-making. We've tried to give ourselves a false sense of security with data. And one of the wonderful things about 2021 is almost no data that we have is going to be any use to us. You know, 2020 data isn't going to help us. Oh, not really. We had nearly 100% of people who were doing our training say that, yes, they wanted to do face-to-face. Yeah. But when it actually came to it, they didn't. They wanted to go virtual. Yeah. So anything that people tell us now about what they want uh-huh. in six months' time isn't reliable. Last year's performance indicators yeah. aren't reliable for 2021. Anything that happened before isn't reliable. The world's changed. And there's no point in rooting around trying to get you know more data about it. We have to kind of get out there and you know smell the coffee and figure out what to do as best we can. And we have to stop being afraid of being wrong. So I think a lot of this data thing is about, as you explained it, it's, a, it's about self-justification, it's defensive, it's about how we like to be right about everything all the time. But we can't be. We have to concentrate on not being disastrously wrong. So yes, a number of things won't work the way we thought, mm-hmm. um, and that's fine. Drop them and move on to something else. Come 2021 and things start getting back to whatever normal means in this world, do you think that more people will be working from home than they were previous to COVID? At the CIPR, we certainly will, because we've become a virtual organisation. We no longer have an office, and we're not going back to anything. You're not going back to London? Uh, no, we're not. We've set ourselves up to work virtually. That's how we work for, for most purposes. We, we will get together. One staff get together every month, and individual staff teams will probably want to get together physically more frequently than that. We'll get together for training, for social events, but day-to-day work will just be done from home. I was speaking to a guy who's a very big internal communications marketing agency. I kind of think, Alistair, that PR is very closely aligned with internal comms because if you can't keep your internal market happy, you ain't going to keep anybody else happy. So do you think that with you guys not seeing each other and with people in general not seeing each other, the old way of doing PR, which is meeting people face-to-face, shaking hands, and just very simple human stuff, that's going to be thrown out. It's a completely different world, isn't it? Well, no, I, I, I like meeting people if there's something to meet about. Most of the reasons that people want to come and meet me aren't, to be honest, overwhelmingly good. Meeting for a meeting's sake. A meeting for a meeting's sake. And, and you know, a simple email would have sufficed. And I've spent many unhappy international phone calls to try and deal with something that... Yeah. I just said, yes, yes, I didn't need to have Sophie in Seattle phoning and Brian from Boston, and it's all too complicated. But what about the subtleties of human interaction? You were talking about with the Pride Awards and how important it was that people were sitting around a table having a laugh, because what happens around that table can change careers, funnily enough. Yes. And it's not what's said, it's how it's said, and it's the looks and all those sorts of things. Yes. In this new world of PR of yours, we're not going to have that human stuff. Mm. We are, but we're just not going to have it by default, 95 every day or whatever hours people are working. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, we, we will go back to having Pride Awards as soon as we can. We will right. go back to having face-to-face training as soon as we can. Mm. There will certainly be occasions when we need to all be together as staff members to do something or get together with volunteers to do particular thing. So it's not that we dogmatically will never see anybody ever again. The idea that we all need to go to one place yeah. every day in order to do our work, just, you know, it's not true. Right. We can perfectly well carry on everything we need to do yeah. by Zoom or by other means. Interns join companies and organizations. Part of their rite of passage 
is going to work nine till five, being a bit of a butt of jokes and stuff like that. I mean, it's all what we've been through. Mm. But this next generation won't go through that, is what you're saying. It's going to be a very isolated world, isn't it? I think that is by far the biggest challenge of this new way of working. It's less of a challenge for us because we don't recruit huge numbers of people at any one time. But I completely recognize what you're saying. Right. Virtual working suits us. It won't be the answer for every organization. People need to talk about the paperless office. Do you know how we got rid of all of our paper? Go on then. We got rid of the office. Yeah. We got rid of the office. The only reason we had paper was because we had an office to put it in. And if we didn't have an office and we couldn't keep the paper, guess what? We could manage perfectly well without it. We moved from Russell Square <laughs> yeah. um, two years ago and we dumped right. 80% of what we had in the cupboards. God knows what it all was. Yeah. We took the stuff that we really thought we needed to Tottenham Court Road when we moved in 2018. Most of it sat untouched. Nobody's looked at it. You know, it's mostly a printout or a copy of what we had online anyway. I do have a printer at home. I haven't printed a single document for work since March. Not one. Right. Not one. Really? So you're saying that this new world is very existential. Mm. It's about what's happening now. But from a management point of view, you can't keep on living in the moment. You've got to plan ahead. Yes. And review and check on people and stuff like that. That's the other problem, by the way, with, with Zoom. Yeah. People think it's a bit intrusive being watched all the time. From a PR point of view, how can companies and organizations reassure their suppliers and their employees and all these people that this is a gentle but necessary way of doing things? The challenge that I face now is that the organization that I run is basically inside people's heads. It means I have to really focus on making sure that. Everybody understands where they are, understands what they've got to be doing, understands how to collaborate. On the other hand, I don't have to worry about heating system doesn't work, lifts aren't working properly, somebody's lost their door pass, all this other stuff, which is a total distraction from running an organization. And what the hell are we going to do with all these files, which it turns out we never needed in the first place? I know. It's the end of Ryman's, Alistair, as we know it. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A lifetime supply of stationery. So there will be some mix of technologies and face-to-face interaction which will suit us there'll be a different mix that works better for different people we'll all have to just reinvent ourselves to suit whatever is best i want to take you back to 2007 Mm. and in 2007 a lot of people were talking about groundbreaking book the black swan and i remember reading the black swan and i was blown away by it i was absolutely blown away by it it makes a number of kind of fairly simple points we're using kind of sciency tools to give ourselves the illusion that everything is predictable. And uh, it isn't. And he talks about the sort of faux accuracy at the heart of a lot of management practice. He was saying, use your mathematical tools to find things that have a big potential upside and a small potential downside and, and just stick with them. And many of those will not produce wins, but when you do produce a win, you'll produce a really big one. And uh, he said that most people are using their data or their whatever tools they're applying to try and get the right answer. You may get the right answer through luck, but it's a, it's a very bad way of dealing with unusual situations. So it's as relevant today as it was then, maybe even more so. It, it is a, an odd one, but you know we are facing the future with very little data that's very much used to us. So it's very timely. Maybe even more so, yeah. What are you going to be doing over Christmas, Alistair? 
my parents are elderly and they've been extremely disciplined and they've stayed home since March. My wife and I have also more or less stayed home. I mean, we've, we're not self-isolating strictly, but we are really not far off. I think we'll probably go and see them, but not actually stay. I wish your family a fantastic, peaceful, safe Christmas. It's going to be one unlike any other Christmas, I think. Absolutely, yes. Some of it will be on Zoom, probably. And um, looking ahead to 2021, anything that you can tell your members? We are going to be really focusing on community building and how we make the experience of membership more rewarding. We're going to focus on employability, and we're going to try and get the technology in place to enable members to speak directly to each other rather than um, only through organised group structures. So once again, Alistair, thank you so much for joining us and Fortin Leaders. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Brilliant. Same here. Let's make the most of looking forward to 2021. Here's the news Coming to you every hour on the hour Here is the news The weather's fine But there may be a meteor shower Here is the news The cure's been found A good old rocket lag Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinventatme.com, that's reinventatme.com, or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com, that's thoughtandleaders.com. Action-filled adventure All the worst from the world convention